for people who listen to it online. I want to thank you for responding to having uh, four different teachers do this. That I've really been so appreciative of your encouragement for the teachers and for how you've really accepted that and bought into it and how you say it's neat because you're learning from four different personalities and four different kinds of studiers and um, that just means a lot to me and it means a lot to those other teachers so just keep doing that when somebody other than than I teach make sure that you um, go up to them and tell them how much you you appreciate it Uh, it just really makes a difference think about how you feel when you've done something and nobody says anything or people just really tell you how much it meant to them, it just makes a big difference. So would you make sure and thank people as they teach? Well, oh, why do I have my glasses on? Really thrilled about these next six weeks that we're going to do to study prayer. I really think this is going to be life-changing for many of you. I really believe that people have a desire to pray better, to pray deeper, and just aren't exactly sure how to do it. So I think these six weeks will really be helpful to all of us. I do think that this is a place where having four different teachers teach will be especially beneficial. I can get up and teach six weeks, and you could just get my perspective on prayer. But having all four of us teach, you'll get a lot of different kind of uh, nuances to how to pray. And I think it'll be really, really helpful to you. I think we're hoping to stretch you a lot when it comes to prayer. Stretching me a lot when it comes to prayer. And so um, I'm really excited about how the Lord will use this. Let me ask you a question. It's on, Oh, let me tell you, first of all, much of the material for today's lesson comes from, oops, a book I have to run up and get in my office. Um, Richard Foster's book, Prayer, is one of my top four books I've ever read on prayer, probably. Uh, it's not an easy book to read, so some of you, if you want a, like kind of a lighter book, he's probably not the person to read, but if you want a little bit deeper, it's just simply called Prayer, and it's just absolutely wonderful. I adore it. Much of the stuff that you'll see on your note guides today, if I don't tell, if I just quote it, but I don't put who it's by, it's by Foster. I started putting his name by everybody, and then I thought, that's ridiculous. I'll just tell you that they're all by Foster, unless otherwise noted. Let me ask a question. I'm going to ask a couple questions early this morning to get you started, because I want you to really begin to share together about this concept of prayer. I want to ask it this way, first of all. How would you describe your prayer life currently? I want you to be real honest and share around your tables. If you have seven or eight people, you have 30 seconds each. So if you have seven or eight people, you don't go into deep depth about your prayer life because then nobody else gets to share. If you have two or three, you can talk a little bit longer. But I want you to be real honest and say, how would you describe your prayer life currently? Now you say, well, I wonder what she means. Just anything you want to say. Any way you want to describe it, any way you say this is how my prayer life is or isn't going, um, anything you want to share around your table, how would you describe your prayer life? You have 30 seconds each if you have a full table. Let's go first of all to those people who talk a lot. I never say that, but you people who talk a lot, you'll be able to get in there and get people going because this is not a question that quieter people like to talk about. So um, you jump in there, everybody, you've got 30 seconds each, go. the table, would you do me a favor and be honest enough to share, throw out some descriptions that you shared around your tables. How is your current prayer life? Throw out some words. What? 
Yes. Hit or miss. I bet a lot of you could uh, really relate to that one. Give me another one. Selfish. Selfish. Yeah. Give me another one. How's your current career life? What? Informal. You'll find that interesting a little bit later. Give me another one. Popcorn. Popcorn. What do you mean by that, Cheryl? Oh, quick. Yeah. Yeah. Give me another one. Constant. Great. Give me two more. How do you describe your current career life? Not enough. I find that's a description I, no matter how much I pray, I always come up with that one. Give me one more. Desperate. Desperate and what, Sharon? On the fly. And desperate. Great. Good descriptions. I just wanted to get a little bit of an idea of how you uh, are describing your prayer life. I want us to start off this morning with some prayer. Around your table, I want everybody to pray out loud, even if you say one sentence. Asking God to work really, really powerfully in today's lesson. Around your table, go. Lord, as I look around these tables, I know that everybody is bringing in her own particular uh, views on prayer and thoughts on prayer and lifestyle on prayer. And today and these next weeks, I'm convinced that you're going to do a new work in us when it comes to prayer. And I'm so excited to see what transformation is going to happen. I give you this lesson this morning. I give you my mouth and my mind and my heart again today to say, use me. And I bring before you these women that I just love so much and pray that you would work powerfully in and through their lives as we learn together what it means to pray. Open up our minds, Lord. Holy Spirit, fill this room. And everything that you do will be careful to say, it's not a teacher, it's not somebody around the table, it's you, Holy Spirit, working. And we'll give you all the praise. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to jump in here, and I'm going to share something, share as fast as I can stuff with you, because I want to give you more information, but I also want to give you a lot of time to talk so that you experience transformation. And then at the end, I want to have some time for us to pray. Um... I told you that much of today's lesson is taken from Richard Foster's book, Prayer, one of my all-time favorite books on prayer. And he says um, what prayer should be. What prayer should we? And he uses two words that I want to toss out to you and then ask you a question about. He says prayer should be all about intimacy. (laughs) Prayer should be all about intimacy. He says this, the place of deepest intimacy where we know and are known to the fullest. It's a place where we can be completely vulnerable and honest. Take your Bible and turn to Psalm 139. Might be a psalm that you've even memorized in your past. Psalm 139. Let me pick out a few thoughts here that describe prayer as intimacy. David prays this. See if you sense this thought of intimacy. It's a prayer. 
Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Sound like intimacy to you? You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it, O Lord. That's where we can probably say, okay, Lord, you know it before I'm going to say it, so help me to learn to shut up before I say some of the things I say. Look down verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Look at verse um, 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me? Nope. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Verse 13. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Verse 16. All my days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. And verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David knows that prayer is all about intimacy, doesn't he? And that's what God longs for you and for me to know when it comes to prayer. That prayer should be this deepest, most intimate of anything we possibly, actions that we could ever, ever do. He says it's also all about love. This love relationship between me and my father expressed in words. He says this, real prayer comes not by gritting our teeth, but by falling in love. I love this concept that prayer should be about love. Take your Bible and turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. I was reading through the Psalms trying to decide what one to pick up to explain this one. And could have used one of about 60 different Psalms. So I just happened to choose Psalm 34 of David. Because I think this one again just describes this feeling that David had of prayer and love being so commingled together. Psalm 34, verse 1, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will continually always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name forever. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Verse 12, whoever of you loves life and desire, and let's go over to uh, verse 17. The righteous cry out, the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He just is crying out to this God whom he loves so much because this God has met him at every single point of need that he ever had. Foster says, always remember that prayer is a love relationship. And St. Augustine said, true, whole prayer is nothing but love. Have you come to that place yet in your prayer life where you recognize that getting before God in prayer is just 
deeper love, deeper adoration of this God who has redeemed you, that's much of what prayer is supposed to be about. Intimacy and love. Now I want you to answer this around your table. It's almost the same question as before. Where I said, what's your prayer life right now? Let's change it a little bit. According to these two descriptions, that prayer is intimacy and prayer is love, how would you describe your prayer life? Are these two things happening in you in your prayer life? Why or why not? And again, I encourage you to be just real honest with each other. As you spend time in prayer, do you feel like it is just this sense of, oh my goodness, I just get to be so intimate with the one who knows me completely, Psalm 139. Or, and do you feel like it's just this love relationship where you just can't wait to talk to him about how much you love him and how much he's meant to you and what he's doing in your life? Using those two words, how's your prayer life? This time, go to the person who's spoken the least. Go. Intimacy, love. If you don't get anything else out of today's lesson, I hope, whoops, I hope you and I address this issue in our prayer life that we need to become more intimate and more loving with Him. Now, much of the rest of the lesson will feed on that. Well, that's what our love life or our prayer life should be designed to be. But it's seldom experienced, I think, by many believers. So many people experience prayerlessness. Prayerlessness, not prayerfulness, prayerlessness. Foster says, something holds us back from praying, causing us to experience the agony of prayerlessness. He says, for some people, we say it's busyness. But he says, it re- he said, I don't think it's really busyness. Because he said we still eat, even when we're busy, we still eat, we still go to sleep, we still do those things that we want to do. So he says, I'm not sure it's busyness. He said, I wonder if that's just a smoke screen. He said, no, there's something deeper, more profound, keeping us in check. Perhaps it would be a good idea for all of us, when we're going through times of prayerlessness, if we would sit down and pray and say, God, what's keeping me from praying more? Is it fear? Is it anger? Is it laziness? Is it lack of desire? And to try to go a little bit deeper to find out what are those things that are keeping us from praying more. Foster said, for other people, we have the notion that we have to have everything just right in order to pray. We look at something, we look at prayer as something to master before we can pray. How many times um, do you, I'm guilty of this sometimes. I go, okay, I have to have uh, 40 minutes to pray. I have to uh, have all distractions released. I have to have my Bible right here, and I have to have my good pen. And, and, and instead of saying, I just need to pray, do we sometimes have this sense that we have to have everything just right? Maybe for you it's not that kind of stuff. Maybe for you is you go, I just have to have everything right spiritually before I pray. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. Um, I have a question there, which one most describes you, but I don't think we're going to, because I think some of this other stuff is more important. Having to have it all just right. Think about it from God's standpoint. Look at how you feel if your child or your grandchild brings you a beautiful, precious, wonderful picture that they've drawn. You don't say, oh man, I just wish you were doing that better. 
you say what would be sa- what make me sad is if you didn't bring the picture to me at all. And I wonder if that's not how God feels when he says, you don't have to have it all just right. You just have to come to me. You don't have to say it just right. Just say it. Well, how do we address those two issues of maybe having some underlying things that keep us from praying and maybe having this idea that we have to have it all just right? We have to say it just right. One of the places that having it just right shows up is around your table when I ask you to pray. How many of you think, you know, somebody else is praying, oh my goodness, I'm going to sound just like her. I'm going to stumble and I'm going to sound ridiculous. i got to have it better than, than that. Well, how do we address those two issues? Foster does a magnificent job of talking about something that he calls simple prayer. It's the most primary beginning form of prayer, he says. And he says, interestingly enough, it's one we never outgrow. Simple prayer. Let me tell you a little bit about what simple prayer is and then have you discuss it around your tables. I think for some of you, this could be life-changing. Simple prayer is ordinary people bringing ordinary concerns to a loving, compassionate father. Listen to how Foster says it. Right here. There's no pretense in simple prayer. We do not pretend to be more holy, more pure, more saintly than we already are or actually are. We do not try to conceal our conflicting and contradictory motives from God or ourselves. And in this posture, we pour out our heart to the God who is greater than our hearts and who knows all things. Simple prayer, common, ordinary (coughs) people, excuse me just a second, (coughs) pouring out their ordinary concerns to a loving God. He says this, we must never believe the lie that says that the details of our lives are not the proper content of prayer. Do you? Have, maybe you don't do this, but sometimes I go, there are so many needs in this world. There are so many needs in my family. There are so many needs in my church. There are so many needs that I almost feel like, I, oh man, for me just to bring my simple needs before him is, is like, well, he go, Patty, come on. Let's go to more important things. Could it be that I bought into the lie that the details of my life are not really important to my compassionate, holy father? Foster would say yes. What else is simple prayer? It's prayer where you pray as you can, not as you can't. I've had this quote, I put it in a Bible probably 10 or 15, 20 years ago, and it's stuck with me all of these years. I think it's an important concept for God's people to get. Many of us say, I don't pray well enough. I don't pray profoundly enough. I don't pray eloquently enough. I don't pray quick enough. I stumble. And Foster says, as he quotes Chapman, pray as you can. Not as you can't. I love this concept because for me it helps me to experience the freedom that I think God longs for me to have. Not to be bound by what you think of me. And believe me, I do do that. I can't tell you the number of times that I've prayed for us and gotten done at the end and thought, Oh my goodness, Lord, I just sound so stupid when I pray sometimes. They must go, 
Man, you'd think she'd do better than that after all these years. It's, isn't it weird what we, and I know you love me, but there's something in me that says, if only I could pray more powerfully, if I could bring down heaven when I pray, if I could pray without stumbling all over my words. But Chapman says, pray as you can, not as you can't. Accept who you are as a prayer, both privately and publicly. I wonder today if some of us need new freedom. You might just want to write that word on your paper there, because I'm hoping this week you take some of this home and work on it. Freedom. Do you need new freedom when it comes to your prayer life? To say, I'm not going to judge myself by somebody sitting on my right or my left, or somebody standing on the stage. I'm going to pray as I can. And I wonder if that's the, the real beginning place of prayer. What else is simple prayer? Simple prayer is where we pray just as we are, warts and all. Like Foster says, no pretense, no pretending. Let me see if I have a paragraph here to read to you. Warts and all. Like children before a loving father, we open our hearts and make our requests. We do not try to sort things out, the good from the bad. We simply and unpretentiously share our concerns and make our petitions. We tell God, for example, how frustrated we are with the coworker at the office or the neighbor down the street. We ask for good, favorable weather and good health. We just simply bring it all to him. But we also bring to him the depths of who we are that we don't even like for him to know, let alone people sitting around your table. He says this, it's on your note, guys. Share your hurts, share your sorrows, share your joys freely and openly. God listens in compassion and love, just as we do when our children come to us. He delights in our presence. When we do this, we will discover something of inestimable valuable value. We will discover that by praying, we learn to pray. Warts and all. In this, don't... Sh- Guys, this is something I think a lot of you really need to get. That I bet you, if you were totally honest around your table, you would, not, you would say you're not good at this, some of you. Don't isolate the bad things from your prayer life. Some of us, when it comes to praying, we tend to think, it's like, here's this bad thing in our life, this ugly thing. Maybe it's, you know, a sin that we've held on to. Maybe it's an anger problem that we have. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something. And and here it is, and we go to prayer. And it's like we step into this circle of prayer, and we take this thing, this ugly wart, and we hold it outside the the circle of prayer. As if we could, but it's almost like we do that. And we kind of turn our head away from it, pretending that it's not there. We pray all around it. We pray all around it. We pray all around it. And once in a while we go, whoa, whoa. I don't want to look at that board. And for us, for a lot of us, we don't get into the prayer circle because of this wart. We go, I can't talk to God about that. Because it's it's so ugly. And Foster says, you need to get into the prayer circle and you need to bring this wart in where you can see it and you need to talk to Jesus about it all you need to. If you need to do that every single time you enter that prayer circle, you need to enter it and talk with them. We so often pretend with God that that word's not there, and it stifles intimacy. It stifles our intimacy. He knows about it. 
He wants us to step in with him about it. I love, love, love this quote by A.W. Tozer. It's so precious. You ought to put it somewhere where you can use it for the rest of your life. How unutterably sweet is the knowledge that our Heavenly Father knows us completely. No tailbearer can inform on us. No enemy can make an accusation, accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to abash us and expose our past. No unsuspected weakness in our character can come to light to turn God away from us since he knew us utterly before we knew him and he called us to himself in the full knowledge of everything that was against us. Isn't that a wonderful thought? You don't have any skeletons that he doesn't know about. So bring those skeletons before him in prayer totally and completely honest. Utterly, utterly honest. With your Heavenly Father. Who knows? This develops intimacy. We think it helps us when we go like this. That keeps us from our loving Heavenly Father. Now a question is this around your table. How good are you at being totally and completely honest with the Lord? If you struggle with it, why do you think you struggle with it? And why do you think it's so important to begin with total honesty? In prayer. Let's go to people who haven't spoken much yet because people who talk a lot will tend to talk a lot in this and will probably hide from you the truth anyway. So, <laughs> extroverts, I can say it because I know extroverts, I'm one of them. Extroverts talk a lot, but sometimes they, because they talk a lot and talk a good ball game, they tend to, to not really want you to know the depths of who they are. So, so you extroverts work hard at being honest, and you introverts, go ahead and share first off, would you? How good are you at being totally honest with your Savior? I heard some... I heard some great comments around your table, especially this one. And I think we tend to do it. Um, There's something about us that wants to impress God. We want Him to think highly of us. Like we want anybody that we love to think highly of us. And there's something weird in us that says, if I don't bring this up, this whatever this is, then he'll love, he'll be more impressed with me. <clears throat> but it stops that sense of intimacy with him. And it, I think it also prevents us from really being able then to um, address the issue. The more we address it with him the more we're able to resolve whatever it is. Let's I see your hand. Act 1, Psalm, Psalm 139 again, don't we? And he, okay, God, you know when I sit and when I rise, you know my thoughts from afar, you know the words before they even go on my tongue. What in the world am I trying to do? And I guess what I want to do is just to really keep pushing us to say we need to grow in our commitment. <clears throat> what this is. <clears throat> We need to grow in our commitment to being completely and totally honest with him because that will allow us to develop greater intimacy. Think about marriage. If I keep stuff from John, even if I'm trying to keep it from him out of love for him or wanting him to be impressed by me, 
It cuts something between us in that relationship, doesn't it? It prevents that deep, deep intimacy that we would want. The more honest and open with him I am, the more we're able to go deeper in our love and in our intimacy, which are the two things, again, that we go back with Foster. He says those are the two things that prayer is all about. I love what Andrew Murray once wrote. It's on your notes there. This Heavenly Father is like none we've ever known. He loves you with the love of a father who had compassion when he listens to his weak or sick child, with the joy with which he hears his stammering child, and with the gentle patience with which he bears with a thoughtless child. That's a beautiful picture of our Heavenly Father, isn't it? That he has compassion, he has joy, and he's, it has gentle patience with me, regardless of what I'm going through. Simple prayer. Simple prayer is where common, ordinary people share common, ordinary things with God. It's where I pray as I can, not as I can't. It's where I pray warts and all. I bring it all to him. I don't isolate the bad things from my prayer life. I just bring it all before him. I want to encourage all of us to get better at simple prayer. Foster would say that simple prayer also has to do with just taking every single thing before my father. Every single thing. If I'm struggling, if I'm happy, if I'm worried, if I'm anxious, it's just taking it all before him. Um, I was reading earlier, uh, let me see, oh yeah, look at uh, Numbers 11. Numbers 11. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Right before Deuteronomy. Numbers 11. Verse 10. <clears throat> Moses knew a little bit about simple prayer. Moses didn't try to hide from God. Perhaps that's one reason that Moses was known as a friend of God. Listen to one of his prayers, one of his simple prayers. Remember, it's common, ordinary people crying out to God, taking the warts and all, not isolating the the bad stuff. Listen to what he says when he's just tired of these people that he's leading. Verse 10. This is when uh, the manna had been coming down. Moses heard the people of every family wailing each at the entrance to his tent. You know, they're just tired of the manna. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? Oh my goodness. That's a common, ordinary guy bringing all the warts to. I'm, I'm going, Whoa, I'm not sure I'd say that, Moses. Well, God seemed to think it was okay. What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? (laughs) I'm sure he wasn't laughing when he said it. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Now, I don't think Moses was just saying this real calmly and stuff. I think he was, I I wouldn't be surprised if he was crying and just kind of like, you know, just 
pent up with emotion. If this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right here. If I found favor in your eyes, <laughs> you know, if, if you think anything of me, God, kill me. And do not let my face be my own. Do not let me face my own ruin. I mean, that's simple prayer, isn't it? Are you struggling any time? Pour it out. It's honest. Do you hear what she said? The struggle we have with it? And I agree, because I do too. She said, it sounds hateful. I think it's the depth of honesty. Where he goes, I don't think I can keep doing this anymore. The load is so heavy. The burdens are so great. God, just take me. Just take me. Have you ever had a moment when you were that desperate for him that you cried out like that to him? I've had a couple. I remember clearly the day I said, take me to heaven. The load is not about you, not about our church. But I can't do this. Just take me, God. I don't want to live anymore. That's the depth of honesty. And I think that's the place of intimacy that God wants us to be at. I think Foster says... This kind of praying is foreign to our culture. If you lived in Africa, you would hear this kind more often. Some of you who've gone to Africa with me know, I mean, they just cry out, God, you got to help us. And we're so, uh, what would be the word, clean in our prayer. And it's so respectful, so, so uh, pristine. That's the word I'm trying to come up with. So pristine in our praying. And I wonder if it wouldn't help us if we become more honest. That leads into another part of the lesson, though, that I want to get to because I think everybody in this room will need this sometime. You may not need it today, but sometime in your life, probably most of you will need this. What about times of dryness when it comes to prayer life? Let me ask this question around your table first. Have you ever gone through a time when you felt extremely dry spiritually, when praying was almost impossible, when every prayer felt like it was only reaching the ceiling? When was that? And what were some of the surrounding circumstances of that time in your life? You may only get a couple of people to share this, but if anybody's had this time in your life, would you? If you, you don't have to go into details if you don't want to, but as much as you can. Have you ever had that time when... Prayer was so hard that you felt like, oh man, this is not getting through. Maybe one or two people could share that with your tables. Let's talk about those times together. I know that some of you are going through this right now. And some of you have gone through it. Some of you will go through it. So I think it's just so important to talk about what do you do when you walk through it. Um, You may have heard the term that St. John of the Cross coined when he said these are times where it's called the dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul. Isn't that a description? Isn't that a great word picture for it where you say it's like my soul is in darkness? Look at um, Psalm 13, I think. If I've written the right one down. Psalm 13. Sometimes in those dark nights of the soul, you feel like David in Psalm 13.1. 
I wonder if some of you could really relate to this one. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Wow. That's a dark night of the soul, isn't it? Look at Psalm 22, verse 2. Let's actually, we'll start in verse 1. You may recognize verse 1 because somebody centuries later said these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and am not silent. Psalm 42. Psalm 42, verse 9. Psalm 42, verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony and my, as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where's your God? The dark night of the soul, when prayer is really, really hard. Foster offers two, I think, helpful insights into these times. He he says that he has gone through these times himself, and he suggests that perhaps God is doing one of two actions in us, or both of these things, where God is trying to purify us deeper. Now, we tend to wonder if during these times, am I sinning? Is there something that's keeping me from from sensing your presence? What's going on? Foster says, and I really believe this is true, that in these times of dark nights of the soul, God is going deeper in purifying us. He said um, this. He said... Oh, let me, let me uh, go to this one first. What are the two things that God might be doing in us? Um, he took this from St. John of the Cross who wrote about that, that perhaps God is stripping us from dependence on external results. External results. Do you ever pray... <coughs> is your prayer ever dependent... On God answering the way you think he should. On the external results. Probably more than what we have any idea. So could it be that when we go through these dark nights of the soul, could God be taking us deeper to say, I want to help you know that you love me regardless of how I perform for you. I would write this word under this part, um, control. Perhaps one of the biggest things is that God is teaching you that you can't manage God. This God of all creation, of all power, this almighty God, he is not going to be controlled by anyone. And we tend to think, I want to pray and make sure he jumps at my request. 
Could he be stripping me when I come to those times where it's hard to pray? Could he be stripping me from that until I say it's it's just about loving him and being intimate with him and not about the results? He says this. We find ourselves less and less impressed with the big deal. Big buildings, big budgets, big productions, big miracles. Not that there's anything wrong with big things, but they are no longer what impress us. Nor are we drawn toward praise and adulation. Not there's anything wrong with kind and gracious remarks, but they're no longer what moves us. Could it be that God in those dark nights of the soul is going deeper in Patty Bray to help me say, it's not about what somebody thinks of me, if they praise me or don't, if they say good things about me or don't. It's just about my love relationship with him. St. John of the Cross also says it's stripping us from dependence on internal results. Internal results. Through our barrenness of soul, God is producing detachment, humility, patience, and perseverance. I wonder, man, I've seen this happen before. And I don't even know how to describe it, how to explain it exactly. I wish I could do better with this. I think this is true. I just didn't work long enough on it to make it really helpful to you. So I'm worried that you won't get this one. When I go through difficult times, severe times, where I feel like I'm just crushed, when I would really be able to say those words that the psalmist just wrote, God, where are you? I don't understand it, God. I'm hurting so much here that I don't think I can get through this. Where are you, God? Could it be that God is helping me to get to the end of myself even? Not just to the end of what people say or think, but even to the depth of, to the, even where I'm not even dependent on me. Where I'm just so surrendered. It's like he's stripping. He's just cutting stuff out of me. Some of that pruning of John 15. Where I end up at the end saying, God, I don't have any simple answers. I don't have any easy answers. That's one of the biggest things that's happened to me in some of the dark nights of the soul. Where the answers were no longer easy and simple. It was just, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm his and he's mine and not much more. And he's the only way. He's the truth and the life. But I don't know a lot about easy, simple answers for anybody. All I can do is take you back to the gospel. Take you back to the Savior. Take you back to the Word. And he's stripping. He's stripping. He's stripping. And I apologize if I'm not teaching that well enough for you to get. So, uh, But I wanted to throw those two things out. Just keep remembering when you go through dark nights of the soul, keep thinking the word stripping. God, what are you stripping out of me right here? The need for people to love me and praise me? Uh, the need to see you perform? The need to have it easy? I don't know. But stripping, stripping, stripping. Lori, Lori that's good. Lori say, is it possibly that it's getting to the place where it's not about me at all? I think that's it. I think that's where Jesus was. When in John, when he goes over and over, I've come to do his will. Come to do his will. Nothing else. Come to do his will. God, I'm yours. Even to the point of death, I'm yours. It's about you, not about me. I think that's it. I think it's the Philippians 2 when, when it says Jesus emptied himself, 
and became that servant. I think that's it. It's stripping me of everything. I don't admit, I would freely admit, I don't like those times at all. But I also freely admit, I love loving him to that point. I love knowing him to that point. Now, what do you do in those dark nights of the soul? I want to give you this first one because I want you to talk about it together, okay? Um, Foster gives three things to do when you go through those dark nights of the soul. One, uh, let me ask you this really, really fast, just in one minute around your table. What do you tend to do when you... Well, no, 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 don't. I don't have time. Um, What do you do in those dark nights of the soul? This one is going to be hard for you. Just like we said a few minutes ago, some of you are going to have a hard time with this. I have a hard time with this one. I don't know if it's my personality. I don't know if it's the way I was raised. I don't know if it's my Wesleyan theology. I have a hard time with this one. Use the prayer of complaint. The prayer of complaint, and by that he's talking about the lament psalms in the Bible where the writers just pour out their laments. I wrote some on there for you. Would you just scratch those out? I'm going to give you some better ones. Um, The lament uh, psalms, there are multitudes of them, and they're divided into two sections, most uh, biblical scholars say. Some don't agree with this, but most say that it's those who are in their individual laments, where one person's crying out for me, for him. And then they give the uh, communal ones, where the writers will be crying out for the whole nation of Israel. Let me give you a few under each of those. And this week, I want to encourage you to read through a few of these and to get them in your mind so that when you're going through the dark night of the soul, you're able to go to the lament psalms. Individual ones, write down three. Psalm three. Five. Seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah. Twenty-two. 25 and 27. You may not want to go through all of them at once. (laughs) Especially if you're not going through a dark night of the soul. You may end up being in a dark night of the soul if you read all of those together. I was reading a bunch of them yesterday and going, whoa, man, that's some heavy stuff. The communal ones, the ones kind of about your country, your nation, your church. 74, 85, 90, 126, 144. The lament poetry is used when people are in anguish. When they, they're just crying out to God because they're going, God, you got to come and help me because I'm dying here. They'll often be mixed with this. It'll be a lament, crying out, and then some hope. And then more lament. And then confidence in God. It's an interesting way of the psalmist psalmist writing this. And it helps me because it's really true how I feel a lot of times when I'm going through those times. I'm going, dear Lord, help me. Please help me. I'm dying here. Oh, but God, you've helped me so much in the past. I'm so grateful. Lord, but you know the situation's breaking my heart. Oh, but Lord, you've helped me. You've comforted me so much. And so you'll find how it really kind of interweaves back and forth. Um... Around your table, I want you to answer the question. It's not on your note, guys, but answer this. How do you feel um, about doing this? About 
when you're going through tough times, is it easy for you to just cry out to him in the depths of your despair? It's almost redundant, so I'm not sure if it's even a good question, but I want you to, to talk about it for a minute. Have you ever used any of the lament poetry when you have been going through things? Do you think that you would? I don't know. Just talk about it for a minute. Whatever you want to say. Not a good question. Also, go back to asking, talking about that stripping stuff. Does that is that good for you? There's so much more we could talk about on that, but let me throw out a couple other things before we end here. What do you do when you go through the dark night of the soul? Turn to Him in to the Word, guys. That's what part. Of, that's part of what this prayer complaint is all about. Go to the Word. Go to the Word. Go to the Word. So many times I watch people go through dark nights of the soul and they turn away from Him. They pull back from the Word. Don't pull back from the Word. And the song, the uh, the complaint, the lament psalms possibly could help you. The second thing Foster suggests that I think is so critically important is keep on doing what you know to do. Keep on doing what you know to do. He says, pray, continue praying, continue listening, continue worshiping. This is, I didn't put this in your notes because I didn't find it until later, but listen to this. I'll read it twice in case you want to write it down, but listen to it first. What we learn to do in the light of God's love, we also do in the dark of God's absence. Listen to it again. That's so good. What we learn to do in the light of God's love, we also do in the dark of God's absence. Now we know he's not really, I'll read it one more time. We know he's not really absent, but it feels like that when you're going through this dark night of the soul. What we learn to do in the light of God's love, we also do in the dark of God's absence. In those times when you feel him, when you just know he's there, you walk a certain way, right? Walk that way the rest of the time. What are we talking about? Maybe part of that stripping is coming to the place where it's all about faith and not about feeling. It's all about loving him and not about having him have to perform for us. It's Job saying, though he slay me, yet will I serve him because he's still worthy. What we learn to do in the light of God's love, we also do in the dark of God's absence. And the third thing is, you wait. You wait. And then you wait some more. You keep trusting. Jan says it's probably the hardest. You wait. Because you never know when it's going to end. You never know when it's going to end. So you keep trusting and you keep hoping. Now that brings me to the so what moment. And I want to encourage you to do something, again, a word picture, which, you know, I love them so much. Foster says it this way, and I think it's so precious. View prayer as coming home. View prayer as coming home. Look what he writes on your note-taking guides. Today, the heart of God is an open wound of love. He aches over our distance and preoccupation. He mourns that we do not draw near to him. He grieves that we have forgotten him. He weeps over our obsession with muchness and manyness. He longs for our presence. And he's inviting you and me to come home. To come home to where we belong. 
to come home to that for which we were created. His arms are stretched out wide to receive us. His heart is enlarged to take us in. We do not need to be shy. Come on home. I love that word picture of what prayer is all about. It's just coming home to the one who loves you more than any other person. Now this, these six weeks, we'll talk about intercession for other people. We'll talk about contemplative prayer. We'll talk about how to go deeper in prayer. We'll talk about journaling our prayer. We'll talk about a lot of stuff. But we never get away from this need for simple prayer. Of just pouring out our hearts to Him. Just as we are. Coming before Him with no pretense. Pouring it all out before Him. It may be the big, simple prayer, but it's one that we need forever. And I want to give you an assignment this week. I want to push you and me when it comes to prayer. I'd encourage you to take one day where you sit for an extended time and talk to the Lord completely honestly, completely self-revealing. I encourage you to write out that prayer, and you can even tear it up after you're finished if you're worried about someone seeing it. Just go away by yourself. Somebody said I might have to actually go in my closet to get away from people. Maybe you have to leave your house and go to the library or something. But get away where you can just be completely honest and just write out your prayer. Don't journal like you're writing a journal to somebody else. Write it, dear God, dear God, dear God, and pour out your thoughts to him. What insight did you gain as you did that? Did it help you at all in developing greater intimacy and love? I encourage you also to take these quotes that I gave you from Foster and pray over those that especially touch you. Again, just take your journal and say, Okay, Lord, that quote talked about doing it this way. Help me to do that better. Just write to him. And if you're going through a dry time, try reading the lament uh, psalms and use them as your prayer. Um, I want to, I want, I'm going to read you what I wrote yesterday. Because I want you to, some of you find it easy to do this. Some of you have a hard time just talking to him as if he's sitting right there beside you. So this is only for those of you who need it. Dear Savior, I hardly know where to begin as I pray. I have an overwhelming amount of stuff to bring before you, but I don't feel like praying. It's like my body and spirit are doing a tug of war. Part of me longs to pray and feels drawn towards praying, and part of me just wants to close my eyes and sleep. I was sick yesterday. As I read some of these lament psalms, I know that my feelings are like the psalmist, and and experience reminds me that my feelings are like countless others have had before me. Prayer's not always easy, to say the least. This flesh cries out to be coddled. This mind cries out to be let off the hook of discipline. Both are at work strongly today. And yet, and yet I also know the benefits of praying. Oh, how I have enjoyed the benefits of praying for a lifetime. Words can't express my gratitude, Lord, for this avenue of relationship you've given to your children. To have the privilege and blessing of deep, intimate, loving relationship with the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. It boggles my mind that you've bestowed such honor as this. To be able to sit with you and pour out my heart, knowing I can be completely honest with you, that's truly one of the greatest gifts I've ever received. To be changed by your spirit as I do that, pouring out, it's all too precious for words. And so I pray. 
I pray, I come to you, my king, with full permission given. And I bow down before you and pour out my heart. I fight against that weak flesh and undisciplined mind and become stronger in both. Thank you for the strength to do what's best. Thank you with all of my heart. And then I began praying for you today. Around your table as we get ready to close, I just want you to do some simple praying. Just whatever God's speaking to you about this morning. And I want to ask you, don't just, uh, try not to just do it in a circle. Simple praying, like, I think the best conversation around your table is when when one person talks and then you don't go around the table, you just go, but another person jumps in. You know when conversation's really, really good, it's just like, just talking, talking, talking. You're almost talking over each other because you're just, just in there, in the moment. That's really good praying in this kind of a setting. Just talk to them. Try not to talk real long by yourself because you want to get several people in there. But just talk to him about simple praying. Pour out your thoughts, where you need him, what he's saying to you, and just kind of just jump around the table. You might pray twice. Just jump in there and have conversation with the one who's saying, come on home, come on home. We'll take several minutes to pray together.